music song to help us be reminded of what is so critical and important about our faith, the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and we have now the promise of a future and a hope because of Him, not just a mere wishful thinking, but because He has been risen, uh, raised from the dead, we too have a promise of new life. We too have the promise now to both face tomorrow and to enter into the promises that Jesus Makes. One of those uh, teachings that he has as we continue in our sermon series around the Sermon on the Mount and, and the Beatitudes, particularly this day, we, we come to this uh, most significant of uh, Beatitudes, and it says this, Jesus, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want us to begin today by just having a refresher about what the Bible means when it talks about heart. What is the Bible talking about when it describes heart? We're about a month away from Valentine's Day, and we know uh, what what hearts mean there. We we know in our culture, in our day, uh, here in the 21st century, when we think about heart, we're often usually thinking about emotion, emotional things, what, what draws us, and so forth. And I'd like to begin by just thinking as a refresher, biblically, what heart is. And I'm so thankful for scholars like R.T. France and John Piper and Craig Lomberg, who, among others, who helped uh, me in their writings that helped me shape this particular message. But what is heart? What is the Bible describing when it talks about heart? What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart? What is he talking about with heart? And uh, part of it is that the heart is the center of your human wanting and thinking and feeling. It really encompasses the whole entirety of who you are as a person. It is, the heart is, biblically, it's the intersection of what makes you human. It's where all of these components of your life come together and are drawn together, and it becomes then the epicenter, it's the hub around which your true life really revolves. Does that make sense? This is what heart means in the Bible. It is a culmination a summation of all human wanting, thinking, and feeling. So it's more than just emotional aspects of our life. And it is incredibly critical for God. It is critically important to God. The heart is. In fact, uh, you remember the story when uh, the prophet Samuel went out looking for a, a new king to anoint. He was sent by God to anoint a new king to replace King Saul. And he goes out to Jesse's family, and Jesse lines up his oldest to the youngest sons, and the oldest, tallest, most strapping, strongest, uh, most uh, virile, uh, strongest fighters, and all of that, all the way, all the way down to the youngest. And Jesse goes through them all, and, and the Lord's Spirit does not break his heart, saying any of those who were presented were to be the king, and Jesse kind of scratches his head, or uh, Samuel does, scratches his head, asks Jesse, says, do you have no more sons? And he says, well, just the youngest, it turns out to be David, he was out, wasn't even called in, he was so insignificant in his family. But we learn in that story, we're reminded about what is so critically important to God, and the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 that people look at the outward appearance of life, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If more of us, including me, spent more time thinking about the condition of my heart before God, and the condition of my heart, and what it, how it motivates me in my interaction, 
interactions with other people, if I spend as much time about that topic as I do worried about what other people think about me, as I do projecting out to the world some image of who I am, if I spend more time focused on this critically important aspect of my life, how much better would my life be? How much purer would my life be? How much more space would there be in my life for God to be evident and welling up and growing within me? Jesus would talk about the heart in so many other places. Matthew chapter 12 is one of them. He says there, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see, out of the overflow of the heart, then, does the mouth speak. You see, the Bible wants us to understand how critically important your heart is to God. I don't mean the fleshy pump of your blood in your body. We're talking about something um, bigger than that. It is about the deep recesses of your life that matters so much to Jesus because Jesus knows. Jesus knows that a pure heart will lead then to actions that follow. So we live in a day where there are common assumptions about what the heart is. Uh, we, we assume, don't we, so often, and we hear it in the culture around us, that, that isn't my heart naturally good and trustworthy, right? We're, we're sort of, a, there's a common assumption in the world that our hearts are good and, and worthy of trusting. In fact, we hear things like, follow your heart. Don't make a mistake. Don't listen to your mind and your, your, your rational thought process. Just follow your heart and you certainly won't make a mistake. And what terrible advice that is. I've given that advice at different times, but I don't think that's real biblical advice. That's a sure common expression in our world because we assume that if it feels right and I have a strong enough compulsion to do something, then to deny myself of that must certainly lead me to misery. And yet so often it's just the opposite. It is when we, we let our hearts rule our lives, unchecked and unaccountable before the Lord, that we find ourselves in so much heat of trouble. Because the Bible will tell us in other places that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jesus again would say, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. So the next time you assume that your heart is naturally good and healthy and pure and worthy of your trust, think again, because your heart can be so deceitful. And your heart can lead you to things that are so contrary to the desires of God and the healthy structure He wants in your life. You see, when the heart is left unchallenged, when your heart is left unaccountable, your heart can get spoiled and spoil your life. It can ruin your life. That's why in the Old Testament, God would say, say that He will supply those with a hardened heart, a heart that's closed off from God, that his desire is to replace that hardened heart 
with a heart of flesh, a heart that's soft and malleable and responsive to God. He wants to place a new heart in you, a new heart in your life. This is why Jesus, in this beatitude, says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So what is it to see God? What does it mean to see God? Well, there's three things I'd like to share. One of them is, is to see God is to be admitted into the presence of God. To see God means to be admitted into His very presence. When you call up your doctor and there's something going on in your body and you want to see the doctor, you want to schedule an appointment with your doctor, you, you don't want to see a picture of your doctor. You, you don't want to see necessarily from a, a long uh, way away. You, you usually want to go and have an audience with your doctor. You want to show your doctor what's happening and to explain what's causing this issue for you and to, to spend that time face-to-face in person with your doctor because you want an appointment with him. You see, seeing God is a lot like that. It is being the very presence of God. So when Jesus says that the pure in heart will see God, part of what he's meaning is that we will uh, be admitted into the presence of God. And that is a great gift to recognize uh, what that is and to recognize how that happens. Another aspect of what it means to see God is that we become captivated by the glory of God. To see God is to be captivated by the glory of God. That is why when you read the book of Revelation, uh, it is so amazing, this vision that the writer there is given of the throne room of God. When Isaiah gets his great commission, he sees this picture of God sitting on his throne and and this great work. It's being captivated and, and wonderfully overwhelmed with the glory of God. You see, when you see God's as magnificence, and you begin to revel as you understand His glory, you then identify His purity. God's Spirit begins to draw your heart toward Him. God wants to draw your heart to be with Him, toward His, so that you too, as you are picturing His glory, you begin to understand His purity, and as God draws your heart, you too begin to thirst for a similar purity in your life, a heart that is transplanted by the presence of God, a heart that now is geared toward God, a heart that becomes pure like God is pure. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. This is what Jesus offers to you. This is why we've sung about the cross yet again today, is to be reminded that Jesus has come into the world to die a death that you and I should have died, so that if we would give our lives into Him, to Him, we confess our sin to Him, then we get to live the life that Jesus is living on our behalf. This is the wonderful reality of being cleansed from our sin, entering into the purity of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. You see, we're cleansed from our sin when we confess those to Jesus. We invite Him to take those and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness, the Bible says that if we would confess our sin to God, God is faithful and just and will cleanse us. He will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness so that we are no longer separated from God. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. But Jesus has come to remove that that barrier so that we can be with God. And also, as our sin is cleansed, 
when we examine our relationships with other people and we examine that there's a lack of depth in those relationships or uh, that there's a disease in those relationships and my ability to relate healthily with others, Jesus begins to repair that as sin is cleansed out of my life. I'm able to now deal with others from a pure heart without deception, without uh, needing to project an image of who I am. I can just be myself because now I am in Jesus, you see. Jesus is remaking me from the inside out. He's putting a new heart in me. And so not only am I able now to relate with God, but I'm able to relate more healthily with the people in my life, with my spouse and my children and the neighbors who live beside me within my church family. I can, I can relate now because I have the presence of, of God in me to shape me and to guide me. A third aspect of what it means to see God is to be admitted into His presence. It's to be captivated by His glory, but it's also to be comforted by His grace. It's to be comforted by His grace. This is why in the Psalms, the book of Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, the great prayer book of the Hebrews, the song book uh, that, that our Hebrew uh, uh, brothers gave us and, and helped us understand how to worship God in, in such ways, they're often talking about asking God not to hide His face from me. God, please don't hide your face from me, because they knew that in the grace and presence of God, there is great comfort. And this is part of what we understand in God's presence, that we have the support and we have the confidence that God himself can give in the face of whatever the future might hold for you and for me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How do we become pure in heart? How do I become pure in heart? I'm so glad you asked, because this is a question asked in Psalm 24. The Bible says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, who is it that can approach God in His dwelling? And who shall stand on in His holy place? Here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You see, this is what God desires for us. A clean hands and a pure heart. And this is what God desires to give to you and to me. For one who does not swear deceitfully. We're going to circle back to that in just a moment. Jesus similarly echoes this and cautions. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Is that so often it is so easy for you and for me to, to be so concerned about the outer aspects of our life, what people see and what people think. And we assume that if we can just get all of this external stuff lined up right and prettied up and, and just right, then somehow we're going to be acceptable to people around us. They're going to like us a whole lot. And we're going to be invited to the parties. And we're going to be welcomed everywhere we go. God, he tells us that's not the starting point. 
Because that's getting life backwards. You see, he wants to start with your heart. He focuses on your heart because he knows the heart. That intersection of the aspects of your life, the control hub of your life. Your wants and your feelings and your thoughts. This is what the heart is biblically. He wants to transform that place. He wants to purify your heart. And in so doing, you then see God. You see, this is God's gift. In Jeremiah, the Bible says that I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. You see, so you and I should take a step back as we think about what does it mean to have a heart that is pure before God. And it is to know that it is God Himself who examines your life. And it is to know that uh, to have a heart that is pure by the presence of God in your life, that is, it is a posture of body, a posture of, of soul, one that is humbled before the Lord and asking Him to come and to search and to examine who you are. You know, the Greek word used in this beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. The Greek word is katharos. And it is the root of catharsis. Catharos, the root of catharsis. Catharsis, we, we're familiar with that. We know what it is to have a cathartic experience. Usually it's uh, described as a way of, of releasing pent-up emotions somehow. Right? You know what catharsis is. We know the psychological term catharsis. But in a sense, cathartic, this, this catharsis, this purity of heart, what God is calling you and me into, is a catharsis of falsehood in our life. You see, that the one who mounts the, the, the mountain of God, the one who ascends to the hill of God and stands in the holy place, Psalm 24, it is one who has clean hands and a pure heart, one who has no falsehood. You see, the falsehood, the idolatry, the deception now of the life is set aside. It is cleaned out. It's removed by the presence of God in me. And in its place is a singular focus on God at the center of everything in your life. It's a singular focus on God at the center of your life. In the book of James, he, he warns those who are double-minded, those who have a mind for God and a mind for the world. God wants you in your pure heart to have a singular focus on God at the center. This is the, the cry of the psalmist in 139. Here's what the Bible says. Here's the posture of one who enters into a pure heart and one who continues to seek out God's purity in his or her life. Here's what the Bible says. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. Now, we, we know what the word offensive means, right? We hear it in our culture all the time about being careful not to offend somebody. This verse is talking about an offensive way toward God. It's talking about a, a way of deception toward God. It's talking about a heart that is mixed up with loving and pursuing other things in the world in place of God. That, that is the offense that we are to ask when we pray this prayer, search me, God. Search me and know my heart and reveal me to me. Reveal me to me. Because I don't want to be self-deceived. I don't want to assume something about myself that is false. 
I don't want to live my life in deception and hypocrisy, saying one thing, yet really believing and doing something else. God, cleanse that from my life. Purify my heart so that I can see you, both now through this life and then most fully at the end of my days, when I will be with you face to face, seeing and knowing just as I am fully seen and know. What a great passage as we come closer to the end of our Lenten season, as we think about repentance, as we think about cleansing and the Lord's work of purity in your life. Won't you take this day and this week to come and to pray this prayer from Psalm 139, 23. And here it is again. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Living God, we pray this day that this would be the prayer of our life. This would be the cry of our heart. That we would see you and we'd be admitted into your presence through the work of Jesus on the cross and receiving his forgiveness and that we would, we would celebrate and be captured and captivated by your glory. And God, through that, we would be able to come to a place of ever-increasing purity. Because we want the life of a pure heart. A heart that only you can give. And a heart that we desperately need. So revive us today in purity, we pray, Jesus. In your name and for your sake, together we ask it. Amen and amen.